Hello boys and ghouls. In this episode, we invite you to join us for an exploration of that tireless tradition, the slumber party. Listen in as we discuss slumber party movies, slumber party massacres, and what can occur when you spend a night away from your own bed. So... Stay up late and see who's at the door. It's probably just the pizza guy. As we bring you Boys and Ghouls, episode 27, all about slumber parties. You want to see something really scary? They come from the bowels of hell, a transformed race of walking dead. Zombies, exploding heads. Psychos, fanatics, murderers, nutcases. Now, do we all agree that what we are dealing with is vampires? I know that one of you is a werewolf. Ain't nothing but dead folks. I want to kill the undead. So you ever talk to a corpse? Satan is our pal. It's boring. Throw the third switch! Not the third switch! Give my creation! Soda. I'm kind of all mixed up. We've had a lot of sweets. Uh-huh. We sure have. I am so full of sugar and salt right now. Well, that's that's slumber parties for you. Yeah. Alright. So, hey there, Kat. Hi. Do you have any uh, horror-based gab for oh, me? Oh, let's gab. Well, apropos of our... Is that how you use that phrase? I don't know yet. I don't know. It depends what uh Our what mummy about episode? To... Yeah, that our aired, previous episode. Yeah, our last month. Um, shortly after we recorded, I visited the Pompeii exhibit at the California Science Center. Cool. Now, to be fair, I guess those people who were frozen in time with the lava from Mount Vesuvius mm-hmm. weren't really mummies because all the body parts like disintegrated, but the shells were kind of saved. Yeah. So it was around that. Which Their was images cool. were preserved. Yeah, yeah. So it was, it was ancient really times. spooky. What they did, um, spoiler alert, if anybody lives in LA and is intending to go to the exhibit, which I highly recommend, at the Pompeii exhibit, what they do is... They try to immerse you in the world of the the Pompeians, so they show you what their family room would look like, what their Mm -hmm. life was like, what sex was like, like meaning, you know, what their culture was like in regards to that, Um, food, uh, gladiator culture, all kinds of things. Okay. So they try to really bring you into the world, make you, you, they really try to humanize the, the culture, the people, before they kind of show you what happened, which we all know that Mount Vesuvius erupted and... They were all, you know, everyone was killed, except for the people that fled. But um, most people didn't flee because they'd had lots of earthquakes before. No one thought it was a big deal. The earth shook. But it within like a, I don't know, an eight hour time span, the entire place was buried under lava and ash. Anyway, the point I'm getting at and how it's related to boys and ghouls or just spookiness in general sure. is that after they've really created the feeling of living in this place... Then they take you through the um, eruption experience. 
and they showed you like, you know, they made it very, very loud. And then they had like smoke come in at one point, you know, fog to sort of make you feel like the ashes were covering. It was really cool. Like that, that part cool. was really spooky. And then the way they had the exhibit was everything really flowed. So once that part of the experience was over, the screen lifted and you walked where the screen had been into what really everyone wants to see, which is what's on all the billboards, which is the casts of the bodies, you know, of ah. the people frozen in time. So they really make you kind of work for that. They don't want to just like, hey, here's the bodies. Sure. So you really have to go through it. And that was really sobering and like, especially learning so much about what their lives were like. It is hard to take people from history and put them into the context of being just folks. I think so. Yeah, but I thought this exhibit did a good job. So if you're in L.A., it's kind of spooky. And there were a couple things that were truly, really... I was re-listening recently to the Boys and Ghouls, The Doctor is in episode. Um, sure. I also go back and listen to us. Yeah, sometimes. Here. Just to refresh myself on what we've talked just about. Just to hear my own voice. And um, so I was in the mindset for this, but they had one small, I wish it had been a little bigger, but a small display of medical tools that were used then. Interesting. And what was the most fascinating to me was that these things pretty much haven't changed. A lot of the basic medical tools, like they had speculums that would be used to insert into like orifices of, of whatever kind you prefer to think. Whatever comes to mind first. Vaginas. Sure. But it looks like a modern speculum. A lot of the medical tools looked just like what we use today, which is, or just, you know, barely today they're modified a little bit to be a little better, but. Crazy. They had it figured out the, back then. The big advancement, anesthetics. Yes. Thank God. What about you? Do you have horror gabs? Well, the last time we saw each other, we had some coffee and breakfast pastries, and then we uh, we parted ways mm-hmm. in uh, Burbank. Yeah. And you drove off, and then I set off on foot to visit the, like, four spooky stores all within a few blocks of each other. I'm glad I didn't know the- that's what you were doing, because it would have hurt my... not. It wouldn't have hurt my feelings because I had to go to work, but it would have hurt my feelings in that I wished I had been there with you. But for all I knew, you were going straight home. But you went to, like, Halloween Town and... First, I uh, walked to the furthest one, Creature Features, ah, which is the yes. newest. And um, right now they've got a, a Godzilla art display. Timely. Yeah. And I bought a DVD there. I haven't even opened it yet. The Best of Bob Wilkins. Horror host. Nice. Creature um, Features, Captain Cosmic, Classic Hollywood Interviews, and much more. And I went to a Halloween Town and then Halloween Town's other store block away. Which, when you go into the one that's like, you know, all year stuff, you know, t-shirts and uh-huh. sundries and things. Yeah. That's fine any time of year. I went into the one that's all costumes. Yeah. As well. And to go into a Halloween store that's all costumes when it's not Halloween, it's a little... Off-putting. Is it spooky off-putting or you're just like, something's wrong No off-putting that it was June and I was in a Halloween store. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Um, No, for it's, me, that's... It's that's... like if I was hanging Christmas lights in June. Um, I understand that. Hanging Christmas lights in June would feel weird to me. Halloween, anytime, does not feel weird to me. Um, Then I, I, I went to uh, Dark Delicacies, mm-hmm. bought a book. Ooh, is it Little Women and Werewolves? <gasps> oh my god! I'm sorry. Um, hello, listeners. You can't see. Scary stories to tell in the dark. I Okay, first of all, I have a couple things to say about this. I know this is your sharing time, but I'm taking it over and that's not fair. But you can... 
Um, I'm also the one that edits this podcast. It's true. So, of course, I had th- this book and the more scary stories to tell in There's the dark as a kid. I probably had all I, three of them. I know that because they just re-released them. I probably had all three of them, but I, of course, lost them over the years, gave them away, I think, to a cousin or something, whatever. But a couple years ago, I found more scary stories to tell in the dark, and I have that one now. Like, I bought it, and I have that one, but I haven't seen this one, the original one, in the stores in a long time. Um... Oh my god, they eat your eyes, they eat your nose. Did you grow up on this book? Upon buying it, it looks really familiar, but I didn't grow up on it. Oh my god, I just remember feeling as a kid like I was inside these pictures. It's so, they're just so scary. Oh, the slithery D. He came out of the sea. Wow. Good find, Marshall. Get together tonight, tonight Tell everybody that the time is right Just after eight we'll congregate Pajama party tonight Gonna get together and dance all night And do some talking while the moon is bright So get your date and don't be late Pajama party tonight Well, hey, Kat. Hello, Marshall. This episode's topic is... Slumber parties. Yeah. And or sleepovers. And I want to start with, to you, is there a difference? I've gotten in a few conversations with Sumo Dan, my sumo wrestling friend. Uh-huh, yes. Find him online at Sumo Dan. Uh-huh. About the difference between sleepover and slumber party. To, I think they're interchangeable. Well, to him, a sleepover is for guys, but a slumber party is for girls. What? And that girls can have sleepovers and slumber parties, but guys can't have slumber this parties. semantic Sumo Dan. I, I understand his point. Like, a guy wouldn't call his buddies up and go, let's have a slumber party. And I always called it a slumber party. You did? Totally. I love that. I never thought there would be a difference. Uh, to, 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 me, think... to me, the difference wasn't boy-girl. It was how many people are in attendance. I can appreciate that. I just think maybe where Sumo Dan is coming from is that slumber sounds inherently feminine. And it sounds like really girly, which a young boy is going to go like, that's for girls. We're going to have a sleepover. You know, and I we're guess. gonna make s'mores. Slumber always sounded very scientific to me, like go into the slumber chamber. <laughs> well it is. It is. Indeed. Alright, so we're covering slumber parties and sleepovers. Really, uh what we're focusing on is that time when a bunch of you would get together and spend the night and sleep would come, but previous to sleep would be hanging out, whispers, yeah. talking, jokes. Truth or dare, lots of junk food, and watching scary movies. Oh, yeah. Which is something we're going to discuss. Sure. In the horror movies, uh, of which we weren't able to find many outside of the Slumber Party Massacre trilogy. Yeah. They are not actually Slumber Party age, I would say. They're, well, they're on the real far end of it. because they're always the saying actors or the characters? Both, because they're supposed to be like seniors in high school, but yeah. they're still saying, she wants to have one for old time's sake. Yeah, but when you're in high school, you speak hyperbolically, and you're like, remember well, when we used to, yeah, two yeah, years ago? Yeah, two years ago, still. But when still. you're a teenager, still, when you're 17, thinking about when you were 15 seems like an awful long time ago. That's true. I'd say, like, 14, 15 was the oldest. That was it. I guess oh, after you get for it, you? Yeah. Not for me. My girlfriends and I, I know we, 
it didn't happen as often once we were out of high school, but like when we were home over the summers, like during college and stuff, we would still get together. It was always, almost always at Amanda's house, my friend Amanda. You know how you had that one friend who usually hosted. With a furnished rec room? Yeah, hers was a sunroom. We can invite all our friends and have soda and pie. Yeah! We'd come over with the express purpose of let's watch movies and pop popcorn and like sleep over. The party begins at 8 o'clock. It's a slumber party for old time's sake. But be on the lookout for an uninvited guest. Please, please. When the pizza arrives, things really start jumping. You're not going to eat the dead guy's pizza. One thing's for sure. No one's getting any sleep the night of the Slumber Party Massacre. Close your eyes for a second and sleep forever. Well, when watching uh, horror movies set at slumber parties, there's really three main ones to go to, and that is the Slumber Party Massacre trilogy. Yes. The first Slumber Party Massacre came out in 1982. Here's what's easy to outline for the Slumber Party Massacre, which, by the way, most people refer to it just as Slumber Party Massacre. There's a the. Okay. It's really inconsequential, but I figured I'd mention it. This plot is so incredibly easy to describe, really. It's girls having a... I mean, the details aren't really that important as far as, like, oh, there's a girl who... The one girl wants to invite her because she's the new girl, and the other girl says, I don't want to invite her, but she invites her anyway. But she says she doesn't want to come. Oh, who cares? I mean, that's... And she only lives two houses down. She does. I mean, like, all of that stuff, in my opinion, as far as this first Slumber Party Massacre film goes, doesn't really matter. Girls get together for a slumber party... There is a killer after them. He has a drill. Yep. He's killing them with. And at the end, some of them live and they kill him. End of movie. Like, there's nothing really overly complicated no. about this film. The whole thing with the new girl not going but being two houses down. Yeah. That's just setting up a Halloween, meaning the film Halloween. Yes. Dynamic of one of the girls being separate. And not going over until later when everything's sort of in full swing. Yeah. Kind of coming late to the party, literally. Mm -hmm. And having said that, this movie benefits a lot from the film Halloween, I would say. Yes, I think it borrows heavily. And some of that was just the time. Of course. The haircuts. movies did. The high-waisted jeans. Yeah. The guys coming over. Yeah. That seems to be a trope of the slumber party horror movies, which is guys will inevitably crash. Yes. So they themselves can become victims, by the way. The crashing guys never really turn out to be the killer. In part three, a guy turns out to be a killer, but he was invited. Yes. And he came in through the front door. And I can vouch that the crashing guys thing Uh happens in real life. It did for me. Really? I'm remembering one specific You know, as a guy, we were never crashed by girls. No, of course not. I remember one specific situation at my friend Carol's house, and it was very dark out. You know, night. And our guy friends, like, were scaring us. Like, they snuck. Her house was kind of set way, way back from the road. Like, pretty isolated. And her parents weren't home. And there was a bunch of us girls there. And they were, like, you know, outside the windows making noise and scaring us. We were all screaming. And I think Carol threw up. Carol (laughs) threw up. It's a thing about Carol. Any kind of excitement. But she just tosses them. The boys scared her to the point of vomit. Yeah. It didn't take that much. Like one time I watched her laugh so hard she threw up. So I'm not kidding. Um, God, I miss Carol. She's a lawyer now. I object. Anyway, my whole point of all that is that 
the boys crashing is convenient for like, ooh, they're going to peek in on the girls. They do. They do. They do like two things. When they peep, it's always when the girls are changing. Of course it is. Or in part three, demonstrating a strip tease. Or part two, dancing. Just dancing. Yeah, part two, they were dancing. One of the girls has her top off, but. Just dance with her top off. Like you do. Yeah. Have you ever had the desire to cast off your clothes and be free to revel on the clean summer evening? So. When I realized we were doing this topic, I sent out a text message to my girlfriends from high school. Go on. And said, most vivid slumber party memories, go. And they all pretty much immediately got back to me. But there was, um, (laughs) okay, someone reminded me of something that I did not remember doing, but it made me realize that the whole, like, I'm not saying my girlfriends and I jumped around naked all the time at slumber parties, but I was reminded of something that I did, Mm -hmm. presumably on a dare, that I don't... A truth or dare? I guess so. Probably. We played a lot of truth or dare. Um, Apparently, I took all my clothes off on a dare Mm and put my girlfriend's brother's guitar in front of me, like sitting down and... Did an impression of Jenny in Forrest Gump singing sure. How Many Roads. <laughs> I did this and, and mimed the guitar and sang it on a dare. I didn't remember doing this. But I bring it up because people watch these slumber party movies and they go like, oh, of course, girls got to be taking their clothes off. I guess it's a little more organic than I remembered it was. As soon as Kat hits the door, she's like, hey, everybody. I'm Bobby Dillon. I guess I was the one. <laughs> I mean, seriously, I just think that's the craziest thing. All of you are very pretty. <laughs> Please don't. I love you. So a lot of what the big deal is with the first Slumber Party Massacre is that it was written by a woman uh-huh. and then directed by a different woman. Uh-huh. Written by Rita Mae Brown, who's an ardent... And famous feminist. Any thoughts on whether this is a particularly feminist movie? I do have lots of thoughts. Because then the director, Amy Jones, Uh the way she got the assignment is pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. She was editing for Roger Corman, and she decided to demonstrate her skills at directing by taking a script that he already owned. She did like the first few minutes uh, that had a dialogue scene, an action scene, and a suspense scene. And then presented it to him by saying, like, hey, here's something you already own. Look what I can do. Mm -hmm. She was hoping he would then assign her a different film. But he was like, great, you do that film now. Yeah. You do the Slumber Party movie, which at the time was called Don't Answer the Door. Mm -hmm. Later became Slumber Party Massacre. The Slumber Party Massacre. The Slumber Party Massacre. She says she did a rewrite on it. And people say that she took out the humor. Other people say that she left the jokes but did it in a serious way. Right. They say that the original script was a parody. Right. Which, by the way, horror comedies rarely work. And when they do work best, I'm pointing to Shaun of the Dead and American Werewolf in London and in its own way, Scream. Mm-hmm. The way they do work best, I feel, is when they do take the horror seriously. Absolutely. The jokes will still pop. Yes, they will. But to do just a comedy spoof of a horror movie... Those, you get you got your scary movie, and then... What, like Dracula Dead and Loving Dracula It? Dracula Dead and sure, Loving It? Sure, They're pretty hard to pull off. They are. And, I... and still be funny, and because you've taken away the scary, and you don't need the funny as much once the scary has been removed. Mm-hmm. So what that original Rita Mae Brown script was... I'd love to read it. I can I only wish. S- 
Yeah, I, I can only speculate on. Yeah, I mean, my feeling is that without being able to read whatever her original script was, it's, it's really hard to know what she was going for. The world may never know. The reviews that I've read that kind of tout the Slumber Party Massacre as being this feminist commentary on the slasher film just list, like, these reviewers are just listing a few things, like, oh, well, his weapon is a drill. Yeah. It looks like a penis. That's true. But that's so on the nose. Like, just because his weapon looks like a pe- I mean, you can make... I understand it's a little more on the nose than, say... It is awfully phallic, long... and once it's destroyed, he's basically powerless. It is, and I appreciate that, except I just don't think that's enough to say it's a really biting, really strong examination of the genre. It's not that intelligent. Um, truthfully, the only thing I found interesting in that way about the movie is mm -hmm. the stuff that the killer is saying to the girls at the end. You want it. I love you. It takes a lot of love to do something like this, meaning kill you. Mm -hmm. To me, apart from the phallic penis weapon, which honestly, like you could think of a knife plunging into flesh as like, ooh, penetration. Similarly like, phallic. You, you can go this, so I get it. It's a little more phallic, but to me, that's not really that significant. But what he says says a lot more and is more intelligent about, like, rape culture than a lot of people even have an understanding of it today. Like, I think it's ahead of its time for 82. For what he says there, I think a lot of people have a hard time understanding the weight of what his character says. Even today, in 2014, people don't quite get the gravity of that kind of attitude. So I think that moment is really ahead of its time. For me... Well, that's about it. As far as it being like a feminist movie, is a movie made by feminists a feminist movie? No. Rita Mae Brown has gone on to do cat-themed detective books. Does that make them feminist cat-themed detective of books? And I think a lot, of the, a lot of the reviews that I was reading, or the lists where it was on the list as a feminist horror film, were like, and by the way, it was written by noted feminist Rita Mae Brown. How's it, that? It was. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. But I'm like, that's not a reason. That's not a reason it's feminist. It's kind of driving me nuts. I think maybe why this was pointed to in 82 is although women were capable of making horror movies, none had mm -hmm. yet. Sure. I mean, now there's more, definitely, since then out there making horror. They're still in the minority, but none are being um, touted quite as right. these were. Now, who was the, the co-writer of Halloween? Deborah Hill. Deborah Hill. So there was definitely women behind the scenes oh, in, sure. in the in yeah. slasher films. And if you asked Deborah Hill at the time, she's since passed on. But if if you um if you asked her back then, you can see interviews with her talking about how she really just knew how to write how girls talk, which makes me laugh because I think the the lot of the dialogue in Halloween, you know, it's my favorite movie of all time, is so ridiculous and unrealistic. Now, how about the dialogue written by Miss Brown and or Miss Jones? Hmm. How about the line where um, they're getting into the shower? By the way, the nudity, right off the bat. Yeah. She wakes up, changes, there's the nudity. Yeah. They play a little uh, basketball. It's time for the shower scene, which just pans along them. And in one of them does like the like an up. Just goes right down to her butt. Down to the butt. Back up. Over to the next girl. Which I can appreciate as satirical and as a commentary on slasher films. That at least, okay. That shot, like, panning down to the butt and back up again and all that gratuitous nudity, which actually I thought, 
there wasn't as much as I thought there would be in the shower scene. Just because there was nine girls and only like three of them were shown naked. Exactly. I expected all of them to be. But I guess I could give that one, give them points for that. Just because, you know, they're going, oh, you know, we're going to do a shower scene. Well, guess what? We're going to give it to you right now. Boobies everywhere. And I wrote down that one of the girls said, I think my... She just says, this is kind of like off camera, but she goes... I think your boobs are getting bigger. She says and then, tits. Tits. And then all of the girls at once go, mine? mine? Yeah. Which is funny. And listen, it I, was, I don't want to I don't wanna make it sound like I hated Slumber Party Massacre. I didn't. I just think I had it built up for myself. And I won't watch it again. I have no reason to watch it again. I will say one thing I loved about it was the score, which was entirely done on a Casio, an and electronic piano. And I loved it. It made no sense. It sounded like it belonged in... In like, like an old forties movie, yeah. Yes. Well, the, the, the killer had like a pipe organ. It was very it was like, silly. Da, da, da. It didn't match the movie, but I loved it. I loved the score. I thought it was really fun and simple and like spooky, but it didn't match the movie at all. And they had a classic cat scare. Oh, scared, huh? Afraid, huh? The very, very beginning of the movie, actually. It starts with her, okay, she gets up, she gets naked for like five seconds. Yeah. And then she starts throwing out her childish toys. You notice yeah. that? Yeah. Although the rest of the movie is her then, Trying to get back then regressing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the I guess times. I guess they're at this uh, this apex sure. of just like, I want to be a woman, so that means I have to throw out all my you know stuffed elephants. But I still want the good old times, so I want all my friends over. And I guess that's the age. Yeah. The cusp of womanhood. Yeah. Also, another slumber party movie outside of this trilogy is The Gate, Mm. which you and I watched. And watching it with these films in mind, I noticed that the older sister in that, who's about 15, she's throwing out all of her childish things or her non, I don't want to say girly or, you know, whatever she considers like, well, I'm a woman now. I don't play with rockets with my little brother anymore. So she's like getting rid of all these like model rockets that they do together yeah although later as a good gesture she comes back from the mall she's he's like i thought you went to the beach i spent all my money at the mall on what on this rocket (laughs) so she also is a kind of vacillating in between her youth and her her womanhood i will say i don't keep them out anymore but Mm -hmm. i still have my very important stuffed animals i still have them here in los angeles yeah they're here Benji and Fuzzy are the two very most important. I've had them for, like, over 25 years. Paddington Bear and the gang are back in Pennsylvania, but in a drawer where they will never be accidentally thrown out. Good. Good. It's important. Courtney Bates has got some weird friends. There's a chicken sandwich if you want to have. She should have listened to her sister. Don't pick up. Because when she and her band get ready to party... Do anything you want to. Good time on the Slumber Party Weekend! It's more than just a great time. I didn't know girls really did this stuff. It's Slumber Party Massacre 2. Now it's time for the fun part. Yeah. Yes, Marshall. You were uh, rather lukewarm to cold when it came to uh, Slumber Party 1. Sure. Lukewarm. So you probably didn't have very high expectations going to Slumber Party 2. I sure didn't. Uh, How do you feel about Slumber Party 2? I loved it. I want to own it. I thought just from the opening credits, from the very beginning, it kicked off with a bang. Uh Uh-huh. 
in beginning to rewatch it, and I can't wait to finish my second watch, I've begun to notice like things that I think make it even better. I've begun to pick up on knowing the way the movie ends up. I'm like, oh, I see what they were doing here and here and here. I could write you a 12 page paper on all the reasons why I love this movie. I don't know if that those are reasons why it's good, but these are reasons why I love it. I'm not sure if it's objectively good. I haven't talked to anyone else who's seen it. Well, I'm here. I, I've seen it also this week. Oh my gosh. So spoilers ahead. Sure. Ahoy. But it follows Courtney, who I even thought out loud to myself, at least if they're going to make a sequel, they're going to take the most interesting character from the first film. The younger sister. Can, yeah. And she can be the lead. She survived. She was the younger sister of the kind of outcast girl mm-hmm. in the first film. And they take really kind of the only things we know about her character in the first film, which is that she is lustful for boys. She likes putting on makeup and having her hair done. Um, I wonder if there was anything else. And they carried that over nicely to the second film because... With the added detail of she's a little Southern now. She's a lot Southern now. What was the actress's name? Crystal Bernard. Crystal Bernard, who... You know her from Wings. Look, I just don't want this to be convenient. I am not a mini-mart. I want you to ask me out because you find me alluring, desirable, intriguing, provocative. This film made me want to watch her entire body of work. Listen, you guys, I'm not jerking your chain. This is not a, I like it because it's so bad. It's not like, oh, I love it like I like the room. I purely and truly think this movie is great. Here are a few of the reasons why. Crystal Bernard is absolutely electric. She's so good. She was a living, breathing person for me. I'm not kidding. Acting-wise, I think she was amazing, okay? Moreover, I think all the other actors in this film, fantastic. There were a few that aren't super great, but for the most part, every single actor and actress was perfectly cast in their role. You know, when the one girl's taking her bra top off, I'm like, that's exactly the girl who should be taking her shirt off. That makes total sense for her character. Awesome. If you are hypnotized by somebody to love this movie, this is how you'd behave. Yes. Maybe I was. And if if loving it is wrong, I don't want to be. Or if if, you drank a potion right before watching a summer party mask or two. I know I sound drunk, but I'm telling you. So Courtney has gone on with her life. She's now 17. Her mm-hmm. sister, Valerie, from the first film is in a mental institution. And Courtney is a cool chick. What I love about the girls in this film is that they do the kind of things, the tropey things that girls do in these other slumber party movies and these other 80s sure. exploitation slasher films, like dancing around and taking off their tops. But it makes perfect sense. And they're cool girls. They're in a band. They're in a band whose they, name is? I don't know. I don't think there's I don't a think they ever named the band. They don't. And that's a crime in itself. To just have a, well, you can make up your own name. That's the beauty of it. Well, you, at this point, Kat, you can't get a novelty T-shirt. That's too bad. With that band name on it. I could, I could buy the. And on the back, Deads. all the tour dates canceled. I could, nice. I could buy the Everdeads album, Slumber Party Massacre, too. And Everdead uh, is an '80s, we'll say, punk band. Yeah, they're a punk band. Uh, who was so inspired by Slumber Party Two that they released like a concept album? He, I'll just say, of, yeah. With songs inspired by Slumber Party 2. Yeah. Run away, girls, can't you see? You can't run away, come back and party with me. So, these girls, Courtney is, you know, she's troubled. She has nightmares about her sister who's locked away, but she's trying to live a good life, a normal life, and she, ha- she and her girlfriends have this band, which, by the way, 
yeah, everything they're wearing is ridiculous. And maybe this is just inconsequential, but for me, a big pet peeve of mine is when people are really bad at lip syncing, dancing, or playing instruments in movies, mm -hmm. like miming it. And every one of these girls is great at it. And it makes me so happy. And the song they sing when they're doing their band practice uh -huh. is actually good. It's a good song. It's fun. It's kind of dumb. We're practicing with our band. Courtney's in it with me, Sheila Barrington, and Sally Burns. You should come over. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I know I'm waxing a little too poetic, but I can't em emphasize enough how great I think this movie is. Now, I'm not saying that it's the most original film on the planet. In fact, you can really see how heavily it borrows from A Nightmare on Elm Street because there's a lot of dream stuff, especially yes, she's having true. all this dream imagery and like really weird, hyper real stuff like the girl's pimple growing in her face and then exploding. Uh -huh. Really, really ridiculous. But I mean, you know, it's... It's that 80s kind of gore, you know. Yeah. But upon beginning to rewatch the film, and once you know what the ending is, which ultimately what happens is these girls go to one of the girls, spoiler alert, to one of the girls' dad's new condos in a development where there aren't really very many other people who've moved into the homes. But which is, which is nice just because uh, in a lot of these films, it's like, well, there's 10 of us and one of him. Yeah. Why are we all staying in this house? Yes. You know, why don't we all leave together yeah and go 20 feet to a neighbor's house yeah um, slumber party massacre too well they've got that plot hole covered for you don't they marshall the mm. whole neighborhood is basically empty of people mm. yet another plus in the plus column anyway the girls um courtney progressively starts having these visions of like the scary man who's like a rockabilly kind of rock and roller i wrote if johnny bravo was a serial killer sure Hello, 911 emergency. There's a handsome guy in my house. Oh, <laughs> wait a second. Cancel that. It's only me. With a guitar that has a, an electric drill on the end. And he sings and he dances and he is maniacal and he kills. The, he starts killing people and he basically weaves his way into her reality from her dreams. Or so it would appear. And he now, begins murdering people. This guy, one, I mean, I've seen pictures of this guy for years just on box covers. And I was really glad when I finally watched the movie that he is a construct of her subconscious rather than some guy who actually got a guitar with a drill affixed to it, yeah. put on a pair of shades and a leather jacket, and went hunting slumber yeah. partying girls. Yeah, so what Marshall's getting at, if you're listening and you haven't seen the film, is that ultimately, at the very, very end of the film, after he's killed a bunch of people and, you know, Crystal Bernard has acted... Well, no, I, well, I mean, even with that, just the fact that, like, he came out of her dreams right. rather than is like, he doesn't have a name. He doesn't have a backstory. Yeah. I thought it would be like, Oh, there's a creepy guy in a band van. Yeah. yeah. And when he opens the guitar case, there's a drill at the right. end. None of that. And that detail, not, not even the most tenuous of explanations besides he is haunting her dreams because of her experiences in the first film. Yeah. And we ultimately see at the end that Courtney wakes up in she is in fact in a mental institution and all of this has been a dream yep it was very um cabinet of dr caligari at that point all of the insane asylum architecture is all like german expression is like yeah ooh, weird angles you know it's a crazy house yeah and then just for a another cherry on top the drill guitar starts coming through the floor yeah with a little laughter behind it so it's like oh it was all a dream and it's still a dream so yeah. what's reality you'll never know right <laughs> There's a bug. Oh 
I do want to say that I think the guy who plays the character is really incredible. Um, Atanas Illich. I think it is one of the better villain performances of the 80s. He's so good. I think he's right up there with the guy from you Night know, of the Comet. He, he might have gone... That's bold. Well, uh, he, he, he might have gone further if he had a name. Maybe. He, if even fans of the film could point to it and be like, man, how about... Guitar guy. Guitar man. Yeah. Rock drill fellow. I think he does as much as a human being could possibly do to make the performance great, considering the kinds of lines he has to say, the kinds of things he has to do. A lot of them are just lines from rock songs. I can't get no satisfaction. And he's dancing around. He has to be scary, but like dance and sing. And it's very odd, but for some reason for me, it just all worked and maybe it shouldn't have, but it really did. Slumber Party Massacre 2. There are so many things about the movie that I think are just really slick and well done. And a lot of it just has to do with stylistically, like the way the music works with the film, the, all the sound design, the score. I mean, the acting, the acting, the acting. I can't say enough good things. I know it's a cheesy 80s whatever, but I think it it's it's a, it's out. a Yeah, it I is know, a cheesy I keep, 80s. I just keep talking about it, but like, I don't even know how you feel about it. You should tell me. I thought it was fun, and I, I thought it was all right. Oh. I mean, you, you've walked away from it with a lot more than, than I, I did. Have. Well, I mean, even things like the tropes of like a slumber, a sleepover, whatever. Yeah, these girls dance around. Like, they do that whole thing. They're dancing around. The boys are outside looking yeah. in. One of them One gets of them uh, takes, champagne on her bra. She, so it's got to come off. She takes off her bra and she dances around. But to me, it's all very organic. And I that moment could have happened at a real slumber party. That's where it gets so much credit for me because... You know, someone might watch many of these inorganically made slasher films and go, God, somebody's got to have their top off. But here, I think this girl's genuinely the girl in the group who's going to take... We all knew that girl at one point or another. And some was, of us have been that girl. Sure. That's me. Bobby Dylan. Um, <laughs> but in this scene, these felt like real girls to me. And that was the one out of the group. And the girl, sure. the other girl says to her, you're so weird. And everyone's laughing, and she puts her top back on. Like, it wasn't for the camera. It was for the scene. Do you know what I mean? In watching it, I certainly didn't have the experience that you have had. Ugh. But the things you say, I'm not able to refute. Yeah. I just thoroughly enjoyed it. I'm not going to say that it's an objectively great film, but I do think it is a solid film. I think, like, plot-wise, acting-wise... I cared so much about these girls and they all stand out to me as distinctive people. Like in the third film, there's a girl with a wig that I'll never forget because of her stupid ass wig. But in Slumber Party Massacre 2, each and every one of those girls, even the ditzy drummer who was yeah. like kind of the dumb head, she was solid enough in her character and a lot of that has to do with writing. But all those girls were actors who knew exactly who they were and they were playing their characters versus saying lines like in the first and especially the third movie. But part two is, the acting is like, it's crazy. Crystal Bernard, like she's on the phone calling the police and they don't believe her. And she's uh -huh. sobbing. That's a real girl having a moment. Come at me. Come at me, internet. Come argue with me. I and you can come at Cat. to the death. <laughs> at our Twitter page. <laughs> you can. Boys and ghouls. They won't. At Twitter. But they, they should. They could. Or, or to say, hey, totally agree. I, yeah. And you can send that to uh, boysandghouls at gmail. Yeah. 
com. Or if you just want to uh, check out our Pinterest page or our Tumblr page, do that. All those things. Anyway, unless you have something else to say about part two, I mean, I've said en- enough for well, people who are going on acting into part three. There were comically bad parts. I don't know. Your parents are really nice, though, Jackie. I mean, mine are so strict. They expect me to dress like a little girl. But it got kind of real towards the end. And the acting got better. A little bit, yeah. Like, and I really stopped having fun watching it. Like, like what fun I was having got drained out of it as he went from being, well, first, an unknown killer to a terrible killer. Like, like when he's on the phone talking to him, he's like, hey, I just went and talked to my uncle. We'll be Stay there soon. Stay in the house. Stay in the house. I was like, safe there. Oh, he is no good. Yeah. And then once he starts attacking them, he's like American Psycho before American Psycho. And he's gleefully quipping lines off at them and then running at them to like penetrate them over and over again. Yeah. Drill. Yeah. But then it goes a little further because he's got like nine girls to kill off. So this takes a while. Yeah. So after like three or four, then he starts getting into like. Uh, we're supposed to believe his uncle molested him, possibly. I guess. Something to do with his dead uncle, yeah. who was a cop, who he's got a candle-lit shrine to in a van. In a van. Yeah. I wish That's a I lot of that, burning candles for I one van. I wish all van. of that had been a little clearer. For me, that stuff didn't really gel. Well, it, it was, well it was a real late-in-the-game motivation. It was. That came up late, but then for the rest of the movie... They just dwelled on it. Yeah. And so much so they like ended on a photo of him as a little boy with his uncle. And it's like, that might mean something if you brought it up, say, in the second act. Yeah. I mean, at the very, very beginning of the film, it zooms in on on that photo. Oh, okay. But you don't have any context for it. You don't know what it's supposed to mean. You know what I mean? Forget about that. Yeah. You forget about it because you don't know to remember it. But then when he starts, he's just punching one of the girls and it goes on for a while. Yeah. And the fun of a driller killer is just like it's just gone yes. and now you're just watching a psychotic murder yeah and we happen say... and it just it just shifts and his acting in those scenes way better and yeah. then when the girl tries to talk to me and i think that's the same honestly which girl is which yeah i was just trying to separate by hair color yeah so it is possible that that's the same girl who was out on the patio going I like older men. It is. It's the same girl? Because it's that she's the one with that huge wig. With a huge wig, yeah. Her acting got a billion times better. It's very confusing. Because in the beginning, she's like, I like older guys. And what? He's like, 50. I'm into it. It's like a robot talking. But then when she's trying to get in his head, and then it's like, you know what? It's like a little American psycho, and then it turns into blue velvet. And then he just starts like ripping her clothes off and you're like we should just say that this film is not really hyper unique as far as like the plot we're talking about part three there's no one from the first two films it's just no. another group of girls they're having it's a really all by numbers the guys kind of crash it there's one guy who they think they trust and then he turns on them he's the one with the weird uncle issues i do want to talk about what you were referring to the just tone now, gets really which un- is yeah which, un- uncomfortable i'm assuming on purpose I think on purpose. I mean... Which doesn't match the rest of the movie leading up to it, which is just like, let's get pizza. I agree with you. It's like they didn't realize what tone they wanted or what point they were trying to make until way towards the end of like filming. It's almost like they filmed it all in order. Supposing they filmed it in order. Yeah, let's just pretend like they did. And then they finally figured out where they wanted to go, but then it doesn't work. But I know what part you're talking about because that was the one part of the film where I was like, the two worst actors in it then gave the best performance. Well, and also like the writing. For any movie. I also thought the writing was really fascinating 
Because this girl, like you said, who's like, I like older guys. How old is he? Um, I don't know, like 50? Maria? Well, I don't know. I think he's a nice guy. Like, I'm not exaggerating. That's how she sounds. Like Totally. But then once she's alone with the killer, she has this weird moment of like... Clarity? Yeah. Where she starts spouting all the things that you often think must be running through these victims' heads. She's like Clarice Starling. She just says everything she's thinking and she's like... I'm I'm sorry sorry I did I if I said anything to upset you I'm really sorry I don't even know you that well but I'm sure you're a nice guy you seem like you're a really nice guy and if I said anything that upset you I'm really really sorry just please let me go Then she starts talking about like did somebody hurt you she's like yeah. in his head and then she like invites sort of the fondling and well, then she he starts says, well she doesn't invite weirdly fondling well trying to it's self-preservation she says yeah. you can do whatever you want to me just don't kill me That I mean inviting quotes Yeah and he latches on to that. And he's like, anything? She's like, yeah. So he starts ripping her clothes off. Which I think, if we're going on your theory of, like, maybe he was molested by his uncle, and he's got these weird sexual issues, and we're trying to get into, like, misogyny and all of this. Great! Set that up a little better earlier in the film. And it maybe did, we'll it was slightly because... You can appreciate it. When he's with the other girl... It's a, uh, you know, impotency rage. Yeah. I don't, I can't believe I'm putting this much thought into Slumber Party Massacre 3. Listen, but you know what? They put in the effort. They so sure did. Let me put in the effort to uh, give it its due Besides, analytically. That's what our podcast is about. We don't, you know, if we're here just to talk about all the movies that everyone knows is are great. I mean, I think there's something to be said for discussing films that maybe don't gel completely, but that have things in them that maybe we should talk about. Good point. kinds of movies i watched at my sleepovers in particular horror movies oh sure um i know that there was something to watching the latest you know popular comedy or romantic comedy like my girlfriends and i would pile up in amanda's mom's big old green cadillac and drive to the video store we'd look up at the board see what what had come out what did they have sometimes we had reserved a copy of something that we knew was coming out i could be wrong about this i know some of my other girlfriends might have been on board with the horror but for the most part it was amanda and i who were really into the horror and other people might fall asleep and we'd put it on or i think a lot of times it would happen when it was just the two of us spending the night but i do remember two movies i've probably already mentioned on this podcast before that we would watch over and over again actually i I can name them please uh cube yes and d snyder's strange you've got it i remember watching a lot of crappy horror movies that were just like Monster of the Week, like whatever had come out. I remember watching a lot of those. I mean, you know me, I, 1998 was the year for like many of the horror films that shaped me. So like mm-hmm. Disturbing Behavior, The Faculty. Um, Urban Legends. Urban Legend. Oh my God. So like we were watching those, but definitely, I mean, Cube, we rented that movie and we should have just bought it. We rented it a lot. So yeah, there was a horror element. I do think a lot of the other girls weren't super into the scary ones, but Amanda definitely was. And the two of us would just have a heyday, have our little time. And I do remember 
quite often being up later than everybody else and just finishing the movie. But and how spooky that experience was of like because it's a dark house and it's, it's quiet. It's dark. The parents are asleep. The girls are all spread around me asleep. And I remember sometimes being the last one awake and there's a scary movie on. And then it's a situation of like, okay, I'm watching a scary movie. I'm not alone. I'm surrounded by people, but they're all asleep, which is spooky. I can continue watching, which is spooky. Or I can turn it off before I'm sleepy, which is spookier, because then I turn it off and all I hear is like the clock ticking. As far as D. Snyder goes, yeah, I don't remember the names of all the guys at all these slumber parties, but I remember the movies we watched. Uh-huh. In the early days of Fox, the network, there was a show called uh, The Adventures of Beans Baxter about a teenage secret agent. It was kind of a comedy, and for their Halloween episode, because this occurred around Halloween, I know we went to a church-run haunted house that night and then went to one of the guys' places, and an episode of Beans Baxter was on where D. Snyder played like an exorcist but as himself, but what he was exorcising was um, an album was turning kids into like crooners, like 50s crooners. Huh? Okay. So he came in and just like played heavy metal and yelled at them until they snapped out of it. Yeah. So. Oh, D. After that, Poltergeist. Poltergeist. It knows what scares you. And after that. Yeah. Deadly Friend. <gasps> Deadly friend. She can't live without you. That's where Christy Swanson is the girl next door. Oh, yeah. She gets brain damage. My girl Swanson. They're going to pull the plug on her. Buffy. But the robot, knowledgeable kid next next door to her. Next door to the girl next door. Your primary, I suppose. Nice. uh, Off of which, what is next door is based. Yeah. He has a robot that got damaged but he can take the cpu out of the robot and put it in her head as a temporary measure just to like keep her alive until her brain can repair itself yeah unfortunately now she has a robot brain and she's bent on vengeance yeah highlight of that film is when the actress from the goonies who played uh ma fratelli gets killed with a basketball Mm. it blows her head up i do remember that so by the time this movie ends you know we're having a horror double feature of just whatever's on hbo and by the ending of it, it's getting pretty late. I've been through a lot. I went through a haunted house earlier. Yeah. And the ending of that is just Christy Swanson is then killed a second time. And the guy sneaks into the morgue to revive her a second time. But this time she tries to strangle him and her skin falls off and it's all robot skin. And her face splits open. It's a robot face. Credits, Wes Craven. Yeah. (sighs) (laughs) Though, when I got older and VCRs were plentiful, and I had what I considered to be like the last sleepover that I attended, me and Cavallini went and rented a movie for everyone to enjoy. And I I think we we were sent with um, (laughs) with the assignment to get a scary movie. So what we got was the worst of Faces of Death. Oh, boy. Which at the time... I've been there. We took for all real. Yeah. I now realize... What do you think? Like a 
I don't know. I mean, I've, I haven't revisited it since I, I was a kid. Well, when I was a kid, I was like all real. So I always assumed it was all real. This was the worst of Faces of Death, which just took clips from all th- the first three. Now, a motion picture dares to take you beyond the threshold of the living, where you may discover your own face of death. It was really, really bad. We really shouldn't have rented it. Uh-uh. What drew us in was actually a the falsehood. Cover? Yeah, well, yeah, that's what drew all the, the claim banned in 40 countries. Yes. I was like, I get to watch this and other people don't. Yeah. At the time, it was like, those poor suckers in these 40 unnamed countries, they don't get to watch Faces of Death. Turns out it was banned in like three. I'm sure it was. Or they they couldn't get a rating. I remember seeing that part of the box or whatever, but I think for me it was just more like it said Faces of Death and the only thing on the covers I remember was like a skull. And on the back, the description, I want to say they were like screen caps, as it were just stills from the films that were like really gruesome or implied something gory and then the description was just like unlike anything you've ever seen like you know you won't be able to handle it It was just that whole appeal of like what is this can i handle it what's gonna happen to me if i watch it we actually watched it twice and here's why we watched it all of us pretty disturbed by it and then dave's older sister gina came home oh boy and she wanted to watch it and none of us wanted to be sissies, and we all wanted Gina to hang out on the sofa with us. So we then watched it. How did she react? Twice. Uh, just like us, but a couple years older. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, that was a wrong turn. I don't think I, I watched. Faces of Death, I didn't watch at Sleepovers with my girlfriends. They probably would have thought I was even weirder than they thought. I, was that, I watched that with my brother. Definitely. It's one of those things you sort of got to watch it at yeah. some point to know that you don't want to watch it again. Yeah, sure. This house is cursed. On a happier note, uh-huh. at another slumber party, I saw Haunted Honeymoon for the first time. Oh. Which, while Mel Brooks directed Young Frankenstein, it was Gene Wilder who wrote it. Oh. And several years later, Gene Wilder sort of returned to the genre with Haunted Honeymoon. Mm-hmm. This time with Gilda Radner in what would actually be her last film. Yeah. And uh, Dom DeLuise as his aunt. So he was playing uh, a woman. Yeah. Very fun. May I have your name, please? My name? Is he kidding? Come in, Mr. Kidding. It's not as good as Young Frankenstein, but few movies are. But if you're ever uh, having a little double feature or uh, just want a um, what I would consider a successful horror comedy, mm-hmm. Haunted Honeymoon is a lot of fun. And it, uh, it starts and ends in the world of old-timey horror radio. Gene Wilder is a old-timey horror radio actor who um, is getting married, but he goes to this old house, but he's got this unnatural fear of lightning, which I don't know how urgent that is that you have to cure it. (laughs) But um, members of his family are trying to cure him of it by scaring him. Uh, So while that's simultaneously going on, there is an actual murderer loose. Yeah, It's a good cast. It's a good script. It's a lot of fun. And you said you watched this on... Watched this for the first time at a slumber party. Nice. First you put your two knees close up tight. You mean you swing them to the left? Yes. And then you swing them to the right? Oh, my dear. You step around the floor kind of nice and light. (laughs) 
One, two. And, and then, then you, you twist, twist around and twist around, around with all your, your might. might. Spread your loving arms, clear out of space. You do, do the eagle rock with style and grace. You put your left foot out and bring it back. And that's what we call on the jack. All right, so in conclusion, Kat, we watched three Slumber Party Massacre films. Uh, I enjoyed the first one. I don't know if I really got that out. Um, I think once as, hearing you talk about it, I enjoyed it more than I thought I did. Plus, w- the first time I saw it, I approached it as a fan of Roger Corman movies. Yeah. So really, any examples of shortcuts and cleverness and seeing a different Roger Corman movie on the TV, yeah. I was that just jazzed me. Sure. And knowing the story behind it all, I just found very interesting Right. as I watched it. On its own, it wouldn't have been that great. If I had seen it before I ever saw the first Halloween movie, it would have been much better. But, you know, that one was such a game changer that when you watch its imitators, it's like, you know, good try. Yeah. Uh, The second one I thought was okay. You lost your mind over it. Lost my mind. I'm still losing my mind. I will be showing it to my friends. I will watch it. I'm hoping. I really don't need the other two on DVD or Blu-ray, but I'm afraid that that's what I'll have to You'll have to buy the three-pack? I believe, yeah. I believe. I know it's a three-pack, so I may end up owning all of them, but if I have to own the other two, I will just own the second one and whatever special features might be available on that disc. And then part three, I guess you can say we have mixed feelings about it. Yeah. I kind of... You it's, talking about it makes me want to go back and rewatch like the last thirty minutes just to try to appreciate that part of it a little more. But thing is, it was effective enough. I don't want to watch it again. Yeah, it really shifted its tone. It did, and um, it was very good at it. Yeah, so good. I'm just gonna give it a a pass. Yeah, I really not overwhelmed with it. You're a new, like, good job. Watch. Go away. I don't want yeah. to look at that anymore. Exactly. Yeah, but folks, you can look at that. All three of these at the time of this recording on YouTube. Yeah. Or step it up like Cat's gonna as they're all becoming available on Blu-ray. Um, we touched on a couple others. I have looked into the face of death and I have said, I'll take Haunted Honeymoon, thank you. <laughs> and the so-called real-life executions, I'll let some other hasn't-learned-yet 13-year-old watch it. Yeah. All right, folks. Well, thanks for joining us. If you want to contact us, just uh, send us a message at boysandghouls at gmail.com. Kat, do you have anything you want to plug? Oh, boy. Not really. Me neither. No. All right, Kat, as always. Beware the moon. Beware the moon.